0: Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, and I have my co-host back this week. Welcome back, Jake. Oh, I'm just
1: glad to not have a freaking headache for once, and actually be feeling 100% for the podcast. I didn't mean to leave you high and dry, but uh, I value my health a little more than almost most things.
0: That's fair, that's fair, and hey, I'm just happy you're back, because as much as I enjoyed the solo podcast, it's weird not having anyone to banter to. Especially with the fact that you actually are quite knowledgeable in football, which I don't think most people realize.
1: Uh, It depends on who I'm talking to and
0: if I actually like him enough to actually talk about football or not. That's fair. That's fair. Well, Jake, we're going to start things off with our Eyes on 5 recap of week 6. Now, you weren't here for this, but we'll start with the first game that you sent me in which was Commanders-Falcons. Commanders beating the Falcons 24-16 to 16 in a game that really wasn't all that close. Uh, what were your thoughts about it?
1: <laughs> like we were talking before the podcast started, where the hell was this Washington defense the first five weeks in the in this league? I don't know what the hell happened. Three picks... And you had three sacks from two players you wouldn't expect. Casey Tuhill, a player that most people don't even know exists, got two sacks. And Jermaine Davis, their first-round pick from last year, I believe, got a sack. And just three interceptions? Like, damn. And your, one of your favorite former Seahawks, Cody Barton, got 10, 15 total tackles. I was a hell of a game by him. We finally saw Tyron McLaurin actually have a good day. And they neither team could really run the ball that well. Especially freaking Washington. But Sam Howell, 14 for 23, 151. But they always had great field position because of how their defense played in the three interceptions. So three touchdowns, 20% of his a little over 20% of his throws were touchdowns. The Falcons. Ritter threw for 47 times. We've said this earlier. If Once you're hitting the mid to high 30s, that's where I'm going to be capping if it's going to be good or not. He had good yardage, but two touchdowns to three picks, I don't like. The Washington defense stopped that run game fairly well. On 29 carries, they only allowed 106 yards. So you're talking 3.6 3.7 to carry which you can live with that this was drake london's day though they actually threw to him which i loved and it wasn't in london so too shade of them nine catches for 125 yards loved it and we finally had a kyle pitts touchdown that was the miracle of the day but the one thing not a lot of people are talking about that me and you have in the past one of our favorite players in the league calais campbell just celebrated his 100th career sack and the defense for the falcons played decent enough they had five total sacks no interceptions but five sacks you can live with that what are your takes on the game
0: well my biggest takes on the game jake were the fact that like we said to start things off where was this Washington defense before? Because damn, you only got three sacks, but you had six quarterback hits. You got three picks off of Desmond Ritter, and you had nine passes defense overall. Where was this? This is what we expect when we talk about Washington's defense. They are supposed to be formidable. They're supposed to be the carrier of this entire team. Now, Sam Howe, he did play well. 14 to 23 for 151 and three touchdowns. He wasn't asked to do a ton. And the run game was really stifled. 22 total carries for 72 yards. Brian Robinson, 10 carries for 31 yards. He couldn't get anything going. And you even look at, you know, the receiving. It was a decent game as a whole. Terry McLaurin, he was all right. Six for 81, but he didn't have a touchdown. Those went to Curtis Samuel, Brian Robinson, and Antonio Gibson, who they're actually deciding to use. But over on the Falcons' side, Jake, I said that Bijan is their best weapon, and 13 carries for 37 yards. He had five catches for 43, but 18 total touches is nowhere near enough for your number one weapon. in a team that actually has decent weapons, like you said, Drake London, nine for 125, and Kyle Pitts, it's his second straight game with a touchdown, I'm pretty sure. Which is mind-boggling to me why we should be celebrating that when we probably should be celebrating him having a touchdown in five straight games. The Falcons, Jake, I told you early on in the year, right before the season started, I didn't trust the Falcons because I didn't understand what Vegas was seeing. I know that Bijan, fantastic. Drake London, great receiver. Kyle Pitts, highest tight end ever drafted. But the problem is, is Desmond Ritter, he's just not good. He's plain trash. I think that Desmond Ritter, honestly, Jake, would be a better XFL quarterback or USFL than he would be in the NFL, especially when people are advocating for Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke, who outside of Washington, Hasn't done anything. Now, granted, Jake, you and I know, and those who listen and follow football know, he played really well in that playoff game a few years ago against the Buccaneers. Gave them all they could handle. Outside of that, he hasn't been great. But he can definitely be better than Desmond Ritter. He can suck a whole lot less. And the Falcons' defense, they've played well. Like you said, Clayus Campbell now 100 sacks in his career. And Grady Jarrett also came down with a sack. But overall, Jake, this team is just not good. I didn't understand why the Falcons had such a massive, massive following. Vegas considered them the darlings. I understand their schedule was weak. But as we've seen this year, Jake, schedule and strength of schedule really hasn't meant shit thus far.
1: Oh, easy. The whole strength of schedule thing has really thrown week six and just any week of NFL football for a loop. Because, in my opinion, this is one of the worst weeks of football I have seen in a very long time. Just because you had the juggernauts in the NFL. Most of them didn't do shit. You had two undefeated teams get their ass kicked by teams that are injured all to hell and weren't even doing their starting quarterbacks. The You had some juggernauts do really good, but I mean... It was just one of the worst weeks of football I've seen. Strength of schedule has just kind of been blowing out the window so far this year. But onto a different subject. Let's go to your first game of the week.
0: And what one was that again? It was the International Series, the third game, the last game in London. Baltimore taking on Tennessee and the Ravens absolutely trounced the titans 24 to 16 and a game that really wasn't all that close as much as the score would say lamar jackson 21 to 30 for 223 a touchdown and a pick and that pick was just it was just a bad decision but lamar jackson also 13 carries for 62 yards they ran the ball 39 times and 39 rushes, 30 passes, good balance. You had 139 yards on the ground. Lamar had almost half of that. But granted, at this point, when you have J.K. Dobbins hurt and you're relying on the tag team of Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, it's fine if Lamar is running as long as he's making sure to get down. And Mark Andrews had a very nice game. He was their leading receiver, four catches for 69 yards. And Zay Flowers, Six catches for 50 yards, and he got a touchdown. He got Lamar's touchdown. Now, the defense has been fantastic. They got six sacks on a combination of Tennessee, uh, or on top of a combination of Tannehill and Malik Willis. Jake, we had a Malik Willis sighting, but granted, that was because Tannehill got hurt. Now, as far as the Ravens go, I said early on i wanted to pick them to win this division but i was worried about the injuries and early on it looked like i was right however they have played very very well they're four and two now they dropped the titans down to two and four basically in the cellar of the afc south and i don't think they're getting out anytime soon now ryan Tannehill, he was eight of 16 for 76 yards and a pick he wasn't playing very well and malik willis he didn't fare too much better four out of five for 74 yards no touchdowns no picks and he got sacked four times now Derek Henry he had a good game 12 carries for 97 yards and a touchdown and I like that they were actually trying to run the ball because that's what you need to do in order to beat the Ravens you needed to keep Lamar on the sideline but I mean Jake no one was really catching anything I mean DeAndre Hopkins had one catch off of five targets for only 20 yards. That's not very good. You can't really have that. And you also had a terrible fumble by Kyle Phillips, and he only had one catch for six yards, which you can't have. Now, the Titans defense did what it could, but they only sacked Lamar once and they only hit him once. So it was a very, very strong showing from the Ravens O-line. But Jake, I didn't. I don't know how many people watch this game. The Ravens in the first half looked exactly like what we thought they should be, which is a contender. Now, I have my thoughts about this game a little bit more, but what are your thoughts?
1: I thought that this game was, like you said earlier, a not a one-sided uh, affair, but the score was nowhere near what it should have been. This game should have been like, mid-30s to that 16 with how it felt. I, you said it correctly. I love that they ran the ball so much. They even tried to do a Mark Andrews rushing with, I believe, a tush push with for the tight end, which I liked, but it didn't do Jack. They tried to do an, a creative play with Zay Flowers, but that just got blown up. Zay Flowers, though, speaking of him, he has been really good and the national media is not talking about him that much. The kid is slowly putting on a really good career so far. He's 35 receptions for 367 yards and he did get his first touchdown this game which I really like. The kid can play and I'm glad that we're at least talking about him and certain other people are talking about him but I think the national media needs to wake up and say like hey This rookie receiver is doing really good. Probably the best rookie receiver so far outside of Puka Nakua. Oh, for sure. I think that Ryan Tannehill is cooked. I say just try to start Malik Willis or uh, Will Levis, Mr. Mayo boy, and see how it goes. Sit sit Tannehill for the rest of the year and then either release him or see if somebody – I doubt you're going to get anything for maybe a seventh-round pick. The thing that I liked was Tajay Spirits getting involved in the passing game. That was one thing I really loved seeing him do when he was in college. And it was just one of those things that I wish we got to see more of. He is so shifty in open field that he's probably going to break at least one tackle. And that's all you need to take it. I mean, the guy got 48 yards on one reception. You can easily work with that. I think you were definitely right with the DeAndre Hopkins. We need to see him get a lot more action. And Chigakonkwo, I need to see him get more action as well because I thought he was going to do so much more this year so far, but when Tannehill isn't doing shit, you can't really do much. Aziz Al Alshayir, 15 total tackles. I love seeing that. We finally saw Harold Landry get some action with that one sack, but the Ravens' defense was the story of this game. They just absolutely destroyed Tannehill in that tennessee titans offense it was a shellacking that i think should have been a higher scoring game for the
0: ravens it really should have been and not only that though jake the thing is deandre hopkins i'm not so sure he's not a little over the hill as well i mean he did have five targets and only one catch now you can put a lot of that on ryan Tannehill and probably malik willis as well because they aren't you know giving him a chance to catch the ball But at the same time, DeAndre Hopkins, keep in mind, you chose this situation. You had a chance to go to the Chiefs, and you decided to go to the Titans with a little bit more money. And now you're in purgatory. Welcome, you fucking idiot. I mean, and to your point with Taji Spears, I don't understand why they don't throw to him more. Because that's what you have him for. You have him more trying to take carries away from Derrick Henry, which I understand. But at the same time, he is probably a lot better to have as more of an Alvin Kamara to Derrick Henry's Mark Ingram. Swing the ball out to him. Have him run routes. Give him sort of a, I'm not saying he's Christian McCaffrey, but give him more of a receiving role like Christian McCaffrey has and maybe more opportunities blossom because He only had one target and that one catch. If you really want to try and get him involved, you're going to have to do a better job than just one target. Because overall, Jake, in this game, Baltimore is showing that, and they needed this game, especially because after what happened in London last time against the Jaguars, that was not a good situation. Mercedes Lewis, of all people, had three touchdowns. They needed this one for their confidence and also to keep their lead in the AFC North, which I do think is going to be paramount because they're all kind of smushed together. They're all about one game, you know, around one another. And so I think that moving forward, this is going to be a game that really shows that this was important and for Tennessee I mean at this point just throw out Will Levis or Malik Willis see what you have because yeah Tannehill's cooked and he I I don't see any reason to start him your season's kind of lost I'm sorry Mike Rabel I'm sorry Derek Henry I'm sorry King you guys are screwed but Jake let's go to your second game which was the Lions taking on the Bucks. Lions beating the Bucks twenty to six again. A game that really didn't feel all that close. What were your thoughts on it?
1: I think the biggest thing you can look at this game is that somebody finally stopped the Lions' rushing attack. Shit. Yeah, David Montgomery went out fairly early in the game with an injury, but when you have freaking twenty-two rushing attempts for only 40 yards and no touchdowns. Yeah, it's a wonder Goff threw 44 times, but Goff had a hell of a game. 30 for 44, about 2 two-third ratio. You can easily take that. 353 yards and two passing touchdowns, no picks. Amonra St. Brown, I loved. 12 receptions, 124 yards and a touchdown. Freaking just smoked that secondary for the Bucks. Albeit, that secondary is fairly banged up right now. And their cornerbacks are just getting killed because there's just so many young rooks. But, Jameson Williams coming back and actually... Well, second week back from suspension. And you're seeing him actually do... He's not getting a lot of catches, but he's making those chunk plays count. Two catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown. I love Josh Reynolds got on, got in on the actions. Three for 50. The defense really didn't have to do much because they only got one pick and one sack. Aiden Hutchinson got kind of shut down. He only had one pressure. But it was kind of just like a one-sided affair because Baker Mayfield finally had a bad game. About 50% completion rating. One interception so only 206 yards. Chris Godwin, like... I was going to talk about before I got sick. He was the leading receiver. Like I thought he would be Mike Evans only had almost 50 yards. The defense did really good. They got three sacks, which was really impressive because that lines. O line does not give up sacks or pressure that much. So the, their defense is legit. Their offense. Not so much.
0: No, their offense is a, it's honestly a joke. I mean, their rushing attack is, I mean, 16 carries, 46 yards in total. I mean, Rashad White had seven carries and Keyshawn Vaughn had six. Outside of that, I mean, what are we doing? I know you guys can't run the ball, but at least make a better effort. Baker Mayfield throwing it 37 times, Jake, that's just a recipe for disaster. I know he was a former number one overall pick, but... Keep in mind, this is his fourth team for a reason. Now, Chris Godwin played okay, like you had said. I really expected more from Mike Evans because he really is their number one receiver more to me than Chris Godwin because he is your jump ball specialist and he can at least somewhat get deep. Now, granted, he did have 10 targets, so it wasn't a lack of effort trying to get him the ball. He just only had four opportunities. Now, you can blame some of that maybe on him, but you also have to put some of that on Baker Mayfield for not putting him in opportunities to catch the ball. Now, Levante David had 12 total tackles and a sack. I mean, he played well, but outside of that, this defense was kind of mid. But Jake, you said that <laughs> the someone finally stopped the Detroit Lions' Rushing attack, and you're right, it was the injury gods because David Montgomery getting hurt after six carries I mean, and one catch, seven touches that's the only reason why I think this was even remotely close. You even think about it, I mean, Jameer Gibbs wasn't even available, Craig Reynolds was your runner, and he's not very good. He's just not very good. Now, Amon Ross St. Brown, 12 catches for 124 and a touchdown, like you said. That is what we expect to see from Amon Ross St. Brown. Feed that man. He's better than his brother, Equinemius, and he's showing that. Now, Jamison Williams, Jake, we also had a Jameson Williams sighting. He also had a touchdown on a long bomb, and Sam Laporta is just ever so consistent as much as he can be four for 36. But I look at this, Jake Detroit is showing that they, they should start being mentioned alongside Philly and San Francisco. Now, if you asked me today to order the teams, I would say that Detroit is better than Philly right now because we haven't seen Philly play all that well, especially against the jets who were down their two corners. We're not going to be talking too much about that game, you're down your starting two corners you can't throw three picks you just can't now looking at detroit overall jake i think the one thing that i would have a little bit of concern about they only had one sack now granted their defense as a whole with nine pass passes defensed that's good because it shows you're getting hands on the ball and the receivers are not which is exactly what we like to see However, I would also want to see a bit more of a pass rush because outside of Aiden Hutchinson, you don't really have one. Now, Jack Campbell, the rookie, he's also performing decently, but outside of the tackles, he was kind of useless. But, Jake, what are your thoughts mainly on the Lions as far as their position in the NFC? Because I think they are the second best team right behind Sam Fran because... We know what they are, which is a good offense and an opportunistic defense. But outside of, if you ask me to pick between Philly and Detroit right now, I'm taking Detroit. So with that in mind, if we're
1: taking the teams... I would take the Lions just having a slight edge over the Eagles because Goff is playing very safe and great football. Now, how much that is him and how much of that is Ben Johnson, I'm not going to get into that. But when you have your quarterback playing like a top, shit, I'd say top five, would you agree with that? Jared Goff playing like a top five QB this year so far?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Jalen Hurts has been playing good. But we're getting more of the 2020 Jalen Hurts than the 2020, or sorry, we're getting more of the 2021 Jalen Hurts than the 2022 Jalen Hurts where he was second in MVP voting. He's playing good, but he's not playing nowhere near the length that he was last year. Whether that's because Shane Steichen's no longer with the Eagles, I don't know. But shit, you probably could have just copy and pasted that offense from last year and they're doing some of that, but not to the degree. I think the way I would do it is the Lions, yes, I think are the better team right now. But it all just depends on how it goes in the playoffs. Because they're both going to be playoff teams. It just depends on who's going to get that first seat. Because I'm looking at their points for and points against. They're actually fairly close. The Lions are 168 for points for. Eagles 155. Points against, 124 for the Eagles. And 113 for the Lions. I think if they had C.J. Gardner-Johnson, shit, you could probably look at that being a 105 or 100 maybe because they have that deep third safety or a better safety rotation.
0: Yeah, I guess. Though, granted, I I would look mainly at moving forward. I believe Philly has the hardest remaining schedule left, whereas the Lions, while it's not easy, there's a lot of Ws there. I think the Lions really have a chance to get that number one seed if Sam Fran stumbles just a little bit. Now, I'm not, we'll talk about them in a moment, but I wouldn't be worried too much about the Cowboys pushing for that. But Jake, going to my second game, which hurts me, it was Seattle and Cincinnati seahawks losing the bengals winning it 17 to 13 in a game that they really got outplayed in joe burrow 24 35 for 185 two touchdowns and a pick now i'm surprised that they sacked him three times because while watching that game i really did not see too much of a rush as far as seattle is concerned but i guess they did sack him now jake I have a big concern with this Cincinnati running game. They ran it only 15 times for a grand total of 46 yards. Mixon had 12 carries for 38 yards. You cannot have that. Now, Jamar Chase, six catches for 80 yards, but Tyler Boyd was the main story early on. He had seven catches for only 38 yards, but he did have a touchdown. But all of this, Jake, was basically in the first half. I mean, they managed only three points in the second half, which is a credit to Seattle's defense, but Seattle's offense stalled. Gino 27 of 41 for 326, but two picks and no touchdowns. And he got sacked four times. And when I looked at this game, Jake, it really came down to just mistakes, mistakes and penalties. Just, thing, just stupid things. Now, the running game, it was effective, but I couldn't help but think they were straying away from it a little too much, especially since Kenneth Walker, I know he only averaged 3.3 yards a carry, but he was getting good yards. Now, Tyler Lockett, being the ever-consistent receiver he pretty much always is, he had six catches for 94 yards, DK four for 69. Now, he did get targeted nine times, led the team in targets, but... I mean, you can't really, you just can't have, you know, 50% completion or catch rate. You just can't. And those two picks that Geno threw, Jake, the uh, the one to Hilton was inexcusable to me. You cannot underthrow Jackson Smith and Jigba in the end zone and allow Mike Hilton to basically sky up for it and get a freebie. Now, the Cam Taylor-Britt one, I put a little bit more of that on DK Metcalf rather than Geno Smith because it seemed like DK Metcalf just plain quit on the route, and Cam Taylor-Britt didn't, and he just said, thanks, I'll take that, and I believe that was kind of, that might have been what set up the game-winning field goal that we ended up having, but Pete Carroll, take the field goal. You have a ton of time. Your defense has been shutting down Cincinnati the entire second half, they can't do fuck all. Take the field goal. Why are you going for I understand the aggressiveness, but guess what? You got down there, you got down inside the 10, and you went, I believe they went one for four or one for five in the red zone, Jake. You can't have that in a game that you thoroughly outplayed Cincinnati. Now, I'd be a little bit concerned with the Bengals because this is a game you absolutely should have lost. But you have to feel good the fact that you you were at home, you escaped with a win. But if I'm Seattle, Jake, this is one that they're going to look back at, which I think is going to be massive heading in when we get to the playoffs. This is going to be a game that we look at and go, this, this is what cost them potentially the division or a wildcard spot. What do you think?
1: Oh, easy. This could be a thing that costs them the division like you just mentioned. I don't think it will cost them a wild card spot because I think they're still a good enough team in the NFC to be the 7th or 6th seat. Because I don't think they're winning the division. I think the 49ers are too far ahead at this point. And if they keep fumbling like this, the only way they're going to be able to catch up to the Niners is if their injuries are going to be really bad. Which, hey, there is a chance for that. That's pretty much the reason why they lost to the Browns. But I think JSN finally kind of showed, he finally got the opportunities to get some catches. And I mean, hey, four receptions for 48 yards, you'll take that from your slot receiver. The one thing that I love is Jake Bobo kind of making his case for wide receiver four for the fourth target on the team. He's slow as hell, but hey, if you can catch the ball, you can catch the ball. That's all that matters. They really couldn't run the ball. I really didn't like what I saw. 25 for only freaking 87 yards that's only a 3.5 rushing rate which is not good when you have when you invested a second round pick into a power back like Zach Charbonnet and a second round pick into Kenneth Walker last year you need to see more now be it you were going against one of the better run defending teams in the Bengals because of how they do their things on defense but Gino throwing those picks was inexcusable. I agree with you. The second one was more on DK than Gino. But that first one, what the hell was that? You were right. I don't get what Pete Carroll was doing. I think he might have been chewing some special gum. Because the field goals needed to happen. Yes, it's not the sexy way to win. But you need the win to stay in the race with the 49ers like you mentioned earlier. I don't know what was going on with either team. This was just like two teams that were perfectly suited to play against each other. And just the the Bengals won because they capitalized on Seattle's mistakes more than Seattle could capitalize on the Bengals mistakes. I just think it was a boring game through and throughout, but it's one of those games that you have to win.
0: Well, I can tell you this while I was watching it, it was anything but boring. I was on the verge of having a heart attack by just the inexcusable stupidity on both sides. But I would argue, Jake, that it was less of a lack of run game and more of a lack of rushing attempts, which is rare you'll hear me say. Zach Charbonnet only having two carries, whereas Kenneth Walker having 19 of them. I would rather see that a bit more split up. Give Charbonnet like 10 carries. You were actually running the ball well when you were running it. I understand what it says with the yards per carry. But when you were running it, it was effective. Because it allowed you to then open up play action. This might shock people. Geno Smith is actually second heading into this game. Was second in play action passing right behind Josh Allen. Use it more. Take advantage of it. Now... I think what we also saw, Jake, is Joe Burrow is a little bit healthier. But overall, I think that this is more going to come down to Baltimore. Can they keep up their momentum? And can Cincinnati win literally a division game, like any of them? Because they have three losses. All of them are within division. They're going to have to split if they want to try and win this division. I think they're going to make the playoffs regardless, but they need those division games if they want to have any chance of claiming the AFC North crown. Oh,
1: easy. If either of these teams want to try to get ahead in their division, they're going to have to win and win a lot. They have to capitalize on teams' mistakes, and it's just one of those things that if they keep either Seattle or the Bengals keep making these mistakes or these bonehead moves they're probably
0: going to be looking at a seventh seat at best. Exactly. But moving on to our final game for our eyes on five recap of week six, Jake, it was the Monday night game and it was Cowboys heading to SoFi to take on the Los Angeles chargers. And they ended up winning this game 20 to 17. And I have a lot of thoughts with this game. First of all, Dak Prescott, he, he played well. 21-30 21 to 30 for 272 and one touchdown. Now he actually led the team in rushing with 7 carries, 40 yards and a rushing touchdown, 18 yards, and it was a very nice rushing touchdown, very well executed read option. But Jake, CD Lamb was their offense outside of that, honestly, 7 ca- or 7 catches for 117 yards. He caught every single target his way which lets us know that they are going to feed him, which they really need to do. They hadn't before. But their running game, if you take away Dak Prescott, Jake, they had a total of 19 carries and 56 yards and no touchdowns. Dak was their running attack. Tony Pollard had 15 carries for 30 yards. That's not very good. Now, I really look at this game and their defense played well. Now, they only got one sack, but they were hounding Herbert. They got eight quarterback hits on him. And that final interception, that final turnover, that pick by Stephon Gilmore was absolutely beautiful. Undercut it perfectly. I really at first did not know if he picked it. But on the Chargers side, Brandon Staley has got to go. He needs to be fired. I don't know whose idea it was to think, hey, we can run it back with this guy. Trust me. No, the fuck you cannot. He is absolutely trash. Y- you can't have his decision-making in these games. Now, Herbert, he played eh, 22-37 at for 227, two touchdowns and that pick that ended the game. But Jake, Austin Eckler... 14 carries for only 27 yards. Use him more. I understand that he's just coming off an injury, but you guys are coming off a bye week. He had been out since week one. Like, I don't understand. I get maybe there's a little bit of a pitch count, but feed him. There was a couple of decisions, Jake, where I didn't understand why you didn't put the ball in his hands Now, they did put it in his hands, I believe, on a very late fourth down conversion later in the game, but early on, if you wanted to go for it, absolutely give it to him or tush push it with Justin Herbert because he's 6'5", 6'6". Now, Keenan Allen played well, seven catches, 85 yards, and a touchdown, and Josh Palmer stepped up four catches for 60, but this defense, Jake, they have awful penalties, and they give up so many third and longs. You cannot give up the third and longs that they do. Especially you got five sacks against this Cowboys offense. That should win you this game. I think that I don't know what it is with the Chargers. They say they seem to charger in every game this year so far. Even in ones they win, they try to charger it away. But I put a lot of that on Brandon Staley. And for the Cowboys, Jake, conservative won it for him. I don't think it'll work moving forward, but what do you think?
1: You are right. Being conservative did win it for them this game. You only threw 30 times, but the running game really wasn't there. Dak did pretty good on that front. He actually showed his legs, which you don't see a lot from him because of the he's afraid to risk the injury again on his legs. But he got a rushing touchdown, 40 yards. He moved when he had to. CD, like you said earlier, played amazing. This run defense for the Cowboys was really good. I mean, you stopped Eckler and Herbert to only 47 yards on 20 attempts. Spiller, Gerald Everett, Joshua Kelly, only two yards on one carry for each of them. The biggest thing that I don't understand is what the hell is Quentin Johnston doing? You are the number two here because Mike Williams is out for the year. You had zero receptions for zero yards. I know he got targeted, but what is he doing? I don't understand it. You were a first round pick. You were that big body jump ball receiver who was supposed to be that safety blanket on the outside. He's not doing it. I don't know if they just need to move him into the slot so he plays big slot and bullies the slot cornerbacks that can nowhere near deal with his size and power. But something needs to change. I'm going to put a lot of blame of this game on Brandon Staley. But I'm going to put some blame on Kellen Moore. Because it was timing of routes. It was the run game. It was something that you should have prepared because you know how this defense works with the Cowboys. You had the edge coming into this game. I don't know what the hell he was doing for his game plan, but it should have been a hell of a lot more. I was expecting them to score 30 on this defense. They've got barely half that. The Cowboys did what they had to do, it wasn't pretty, but they won. At the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. The Chargers? You are right. I don't know why they keep charging every single game. I thought they'd be four and one or three and two at worst at this point. They're two and three, and they are not looking like a playoff team this year. And if they are, they're probably going to charge it and get their ass kicked in the wild card.
0: Well, I think if you're a Chargers fan, that might be your best thing because then you might get Brandon Staley fired because he, like I said, the first things first on them, he has got to go. He, me personally, I don't even know if I had to let him on the plane. Plain and simple, you're still sticking around. I think they have another game at home, I believe. I would not let him stick around. I would say, go home and you can stay there because you'd be winning more games for us on the couch. Or no, excuse me, they are at Arrowhead. Oh boy, that's not going to be a good one. I think that's, Jake, going to be a L early on. I don't... Yeah, we are going to be talking about that game later on. But I think that if I look at the Cowboys, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be looking at, Jake, is, is this really sustainable? Are we sure that this is going to be able to beat bigger teams? Because it clearly didn't work against the Niners, If the Eagles get things sorted out, I doubt it'll work against them. And, Jake, they also have to face Seattle still. I believe they have a couple other really difficult games. I don't have high hopes for the Cowboys. I think there's a world, Jake. They could lose potentially five more games. And this is wild to me because this is a team, Jake, you and I thought would be competing for the division. If the Eagles can get anything figured out, keep in mind, they're 5-1, and and they really haven't looked at all like a 5-1 team. Cowboys, they're on their bye. They better take advantage of it and figure shit out, because otherwise, I see a lot of L's on their schedule, and there's not a whole lot that they're going to be able to do to correct it.
1: Oh, and you're absolutely right on that. If the Cowboys can't get their shit figured out, uh, Eagles are probably going to run away with their division, and it could get even worse for them. It literally, it's a foot race for these two teams because if both of them start sucking, I know it's a snowball's chance in hell, but it's just something that would be a very fitting for the NFL being a, a quote unquote scripted. Is that now that Dan Snyder is out for the Washington Commanders? Imagine if they won the division. That would just be the most funny thing ever. Just to say, fuck you to Dan Snyder. But I still think that either one of those teams with the Cowboys and the Eagles could win the division. It's going to be interesting to see who wins this foot race at the end of the day. Because both their schedules look tough as hell. And both these teams have a lot to figure
0: out. Absolutely. And I doubt that NFL script writers, air quotes, would let Washington win this early on. Especially... You really think they're going to let Ron Rivera, of all people, be the one to get to the playoffs after Dan Snyder leaves? Nah, they'd rather have Eric be enemy. But, Jake, moving on from our recap, we're going to real quick touch on uh, the quarterback ER, QBER, because, Jake, what is going on with the quarterbacks? They're dropping like flies. Tannehill's hurt. Fields is hurt. I mean, Jimmy G's Jimmy hurt. Porn... hurt. Yeah, porn star Jimmy's hurt. Daniel Jones might not play. Who would have the biggest impact if they're gone? All right, so are you asking me like what team's going to have the biggest uh downgrade because Yes, who who has gone? the big Yeah, who who is going to be most affected by their starting quarterback being out and their backup being in. Honestly, I
1: think literally all the teams that have their quarterback out are not that great. I would go with the Bears just because Tyson Bagot, Bagnet? Bajin. I don't know how to pronounce his thank you. He showed a lot of promise in the preseason, but we've all learned, don't put too much stock in preseason. I think that Fields not having that rushing ability is going to limit that offense so much, and your play-action game is going to go down the fucking hill. Your rollout game with is going to go down the hill and that's a lot of that bears offense. The big I think the best thing that could happen is that you're not having a a very mobile quarterback so your o-line doesn't have to do as much improvisation, but that's really the only thing I could see here. I think the team that's going to benefit the most I could see the Raiders being the team that benefits the most from these injuries just because you could actually do something. Because Brian Hoyer, we know what he is. But if Aiden O'Connell starts again, I'd like his chances more of winning a game over Jimmy G and Brian Hoyer at this point. The one I think that is the most interesting is the Titans. I think if either Malik Willis or Will Levis starts, it at going to provide a spark to the offense. Because you have a young talent on both of them. They both can move. They both have really good arms. It's just the decision-making and the accuracy is the only thing you really have to question with them. But they're young. They're both athletic as hell. Let's see what the the second-year player in Willis and the rookie in Levis can do.
0: Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. Now, I think, yeah, my biggest thing that I would say is Bears really are going to be hurting. I'm looking at Tyson Bajan, Jake. Now... He played for the Shepard Rams. Yes, there is a college called Shepard. Division three? I believe it's division three. It's either division three or division two, but that's not very good. That's not very good. Now, he did have a 43 and 10 record there, which I guess is impressive. 159 touchdowns and 48 picks. But Jake, be honest. Are we really putting stock in this guy over Justin Fields which while the jury is still out on him I'm not going to you know champion him and crown him as you know the next great or sorry the greatest Bears quarterback ever because the Bears are absolute tire fire that are probably chatting to squirrels about the 85 Bears defense but I'm not going to put too much stock in him when I'm not going to put a lot of stock in Tyson Bajant when preseason, like you said, he looked okay, but a lot of people can look good against, you know, real estate agents and car salesmen. I mean, I think that the Bears, even against the Raiders, who are going to be also starting Aiden O'Connell, a backup, I'm not putting too much stock in that guy, especially since Aiden O'Connell, he could probably get the ball to Devontae a lot more than Tyson Bajent can get the ball to DJ Moore. Now, I do think that all of these injuries are at least somewhat significant. Now, the Giants, it's going to hurt them big time, especially since this is going to be a division game against the Commanders. And I mean, also, you know, it's not good That I mean, even the Colts, they have Gardner Minshew since Anthony Richardson. He is out season ending shoulder surgery to repair his, I believe, grade three AC joint, which is significant. And it also sucks because he was playing extremely well. And that it's been the brightest hope that the Colts had had since Andrew Luck retired.
1: Oh, easy. With Anthony Richardson being out, oh, dude, I loved that blend of football that they were doing. Anthony Richardson wasn't the most accurate rookie quarterback, but he was exciting. He brought a spark to that team, and Shane Steichen was using him and setting up plays that were just so beautiful. It was literally like a air raid offense with a read option quarterback. It was just so beautiful. Bombs away and run away is what I call that offense.
0: Yeah, that's basically what it was since, honestly, Anthony Richardson, he was looking like the second coming of Cam Newton. And we know how good Cam Newton was, but granted, to be fair to Cam Newton and also Anthony Richardson, Cam Newton was a lot more polished through the air than Anthony Richardson was. But, Jake, I think that the biggest thing that I look at is – there's a lot of quarterbacks hurt, which we usually understand and we go in thinking that quarterbacks are going to be hurt. But this is significant. Like, this is shocking, especially with younger quarterbacks being hurt. But, Jake, before we get into our Eyes on 5 preview for Week 7, we got a real quick touch on Thursday night football, which was the Jacksonville Jaguars marching in to the Saints Superdome, and they come out with a 31-24 win. And Jake, I'll be honest, this game should not even have been close. Jacksonville thoroughly controlled it, like, significantly. And honestly, I thought that if the Saints had won this, they would have stolen it. Trevor Lawrence, 20-29 for 204 yards and a touchdown. And he was also their leading rusher. He had eight carries for 59 yards. On a bad knee. Now, they did run it 26 times. They threw it a total of 30. They had their punter run a fake punt pass. Beautiful pass, by the way. I was very impressed by that. And Christian Kirk really, really stepped up. Six catches, 90 yards, and that long touchdown, which was 44 yards. He caught every single one of his targets. And he honestly needed to. Now, the Jaguars did try to give this game away with two fumbles. And those fumbles were ugly. And they were back-to-back. You had Christian Kirk fumble. And honestly, it was just awful. Fighting for extra yards. You can't fumble. And then the Saints punt the ball. They can't do anything with it. They punt it. And another fumble. The punt returner got blasted by his own guy. Now, I will say this. I thought the refs missed a blatant holding call because the Saints player basically dragged the guy like he was a kite and threw him into his own guy. Don't know how that didn't get called for holding, but I digress. Are the Saints going to do anything except give the ball to Alvin Kamara? Derek Carr, he threw the ball 55 times for 301 yards, One touchdown, one pick. But Alvin Kamara, 17 carries and 12 catches on 14 targets. The only person that was targeted more than him was Chris Olave. And he only had seven catches. Now, I know I'm going to real quick just sum this up really quickly, Jake. All of this would have been made moot if Foster Moreau catches the touchdown to tie the game up and send it to overtime. Because... He was wide open. Now, I'm not going to bash Foster Moreau too, too much because he's going to get plenty of that on local radio, but it's very rare that we call something charity, Jake, in the NFL. That was the biggest gift of charity in the end zone I think I have ever seen, or at least that I've seen this year, and he basically rejected it. It was just a flat drop. There's no really way to excuse it. But the Jaguars are looking like the team that I thought they would be, especially with Trevor Lawrence, who I thought would be the MVP. He's playing well, especially under the circumstances of having an injured knee and not knowing if he was going to play. There was serious talk that CJ Beathard was going to be starting. But Jake, what were your biggest takeaways from this game?
1: Travis Etienne is emerging as one of the elite running backs in the league. Trevor Lawrence, even with that banged up knee. Hell, eight attempts for 59 rushing yards. I'll take that any day of the week. He was accurate, two-thirds, didn't have to throw for a lot of yards. Calvin Ridley, where the hell did you go, dude? Christian Kirk had to step up, and he stepped up good. Evan Ingram was right there. I think one thing that really needs to get figured out with this Jacksonville team is, hey, figure out your fucking special teams, dude. That was a shit show that happened to Jamal, Jamal Agnew. I don't blame Agnew on that. I blame the guy. I blame his own teammate that ran into him. It was just one of those games where there was a lot of sloppy ball on either one side of the ball for both teams or multiple sides of the ball for the Saints in this case. Um, are, are we sure this is the New York, the New Orleans Saints, not the New Orleans Camaros? Because holy shit. You might as well just call this the Alvin show. And just forget everybody else. Because (laughs) uh, Chris Olave, he's still doing good. And I think that long ball that people say he gave up on, there's no fucking way in hell he could have caught that. That was a shit throw from Derek Carr deep down the right hash. That was going to go out of bounds. Not even freaking Harold Carmichael being 6'8 could have caught that bitch. Oh yeah, that was out of bounds. Give the kid some slack. He's doing really good. Hell, when Derek Carr can't throw worth the shit, there were some throws in this game that I'm thinking like, what the hell are you seeing here, dude? You're not under pressure. You're throwing shitty balls. You only have a 60% completion percent and one touchdown to one pick. Uh, What the fuck? I understand that Kamara is a very good weapon, but you have... Two really good players at with Michael Thomas and Chris Olave. Hell, even Rashid Shaheed did really good. As if he's your number three, I'm okay with that. And Taysom Hill is your tight end? Shit, you can get really creative with that stuff. But without Sean Payton, this offense is just sti- it's stifled. There's no creativity. It's literally just dump dump the ball, dump the ball. Maybe try to do a deep shot that Derek Carr is not going to hit in 90% of the fucking time. And you are right. The Foster Moreau drop pass. I'm not going to give the guy shit. I've seen so many people come out and just absolutely ball on this guy. I'm thinking like, dude, think about it. He's your backup tight end, one. Two, he just got cleared off of being cancer-free three months ago. And... Yeah, okay, he dropped the touchdown, but his own teammates came out and supported him saying like, yeah, he dropped it, but shit happens. And you are right, it was a charity ball. It was a wide open post route in that back left corner of the end zone that he should have caught, but it happens. The thing that I'm not happy to see is Jamal Williams not getting the production he needs. He only had five carries for 14 yards. Give him the carries inside the twenties. If you're in outs if you're in the midfield, give it to Alvin. But inside the twenties, give it to Williams. He has shown that he can be damn good. And I don't know what to say else besides that, but Calvin really needs to step up more. And really that's it.
0: Well, I mean, Calvin Ridley obviously didn't have the over. He obviously yeah, he didn't have good. the over because he, he only got targeted four times and he only had one catch. Now, he did have a very close catch. I thought he was in, just was out. So he did almost have a, I believe it would have been a touchdown, but, you know, just a little bit out of bounds. Now, I would say this, Jake. They are basically the fighting Camaras because Derek Carr, my biggest gripe with him has always been, he gets a little gun shy chucking it down the field. And this game really showed it. Now, you touched that deep ball where he basically overthrew the guy by, you know, 10 yards and they were wanting a penalty flag on that. I was losing. I'm like, "What you want a cookie? You want you want a mm. little you want a little bit of charity? That's not charity. That's called I'm throwing it up and praying." And I'm going to just chuck it as hard as I can. That was awful. And then not to mention, Jake, Derek Carr, I mean, he hurt his groin, which, to be honest, I don't know really how he did. He didn't really get popped anywhere. So if he pulled his groin just on a rollout, that's a little that's a little sad. I'll be honest. I understand he's a little bit older, but come on, Derek. That That's a little sad. You're better than that. But, Jake, let's move into our... Week 7 preview, our eyes on 5. And what is your first game heading into this? What are you going to be keeping an eye on? My first game is going
1: to be, in my opinion, one of the top three most exciting games just overall with the Detroit Lions going against the Baltimore Ravens. You have a 5-1 and one Detroit Lions versus a 4-2 and two Baltimore team. That could easily be a 5-1 and one team if it wasn't for that Steelers game with all the wide receiver drops and tight end drops. I am looking for how is this Detroit Lions team that has revamped their run defense? How are they going to handle Baltimore and their run game? I think they're going to be able to do great against the pass, but it's the run game for the Baltimore Ravens versus that stout Detroit Lions defense. I think that it's going to be a lot of outside zone, but Aidan Hutchinson is probably going to stop that, at least on his side of the ball. So you're probably going to see a lot of outside zones running away from him and probably some quarterback carries up the middle. But with how Ali McNeil's been playing this year and stopping the run and rushing the quarterback, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. I think you could see a lot of good play for Jack Campbell here to either stop the run, be a spy for Lamar, or be that guy that's going to post up against Mark Andrews in the middle of the field and see what he can do. This is going to be either a very low-scoring game or a very high-scoring game. There's no in-between. I think with Jameer Gibbs cleared to play, I think we're going to see him be the focal point and see how he does. I think we're going to see a lot of catches from the Rook because I don't think Montgomery is going to be cleared for this game. Uh, Laporta could see a lot of action here, but Patrick Queen's going to shut him down, I think. This is going to be the one game I don't know how Laporta is going to do. Amonra and Jameson, I'm looking for those two to either open up some double coverages so you see a lot of light boxes for Gibbs or something else to happen. This is going to be a game that I think you're going to see double bracket coverage on both of them quite often. And it's going to be the slot receiver and Reynolds and Gibbs are going to be the primary focal points in this game, I think.
0: Well, I don't, I don't know about that because I only really trust... Marlon Humphrey, as far as their corners go, not so sure about the other guy. But, Jake, I think that it's more going to be interesting. I'm going to be looking at Jared Goff against this defense, mainly because of the fact that Jared Goff does like the middle of the field. So, this is going to be on Roquan Smith and that linebacking core making sure that they do not allow any rack, because that's where you have issues with Amon Ross St. Brown, Jameer Gibbs, Josh Reynolds, they can get yards after catch very nicely. It's going to be on those linebackers to stop them in their tracks and make sure that, hey, you ain't getting anything more than what you catch. That's what I think is going to be the key. And then on the Ravens side, as far as the offense goes, they're going to need to get a run game established. What we've noticed is that the Lions can be ran on by a good running game. Now, I definitely would rather have less carries from Lamar because he's already ran it 60 times. I would rather see a better balance of Justice Hill and Gus Edwards because if you can keep that balance going, get about 10 to 12 carries with each. Lamar chucks in about seven or eight runs. I think that's going to be more important than anything as far as the air game goes because we've seen that the Lions secondary has been a lot better than I think we give them credit for. And I think it's going to be I think a big you know addition by subtraction is losing Jeff Okuda because he's a bum. Now he's playing well in Atlanta, but I still think he was absolutely trash. Now the Ra- or the Ravens are favored by 3. Now I don't understand that one. I guess it's probably due to you missing David Montgomery and them trusting that the Ravens run game can be a lot better than the Detroit run game, especially because of that added dynamic with Lamar's legs. But I would actually take Detroit plus three. The fact that a five and one team and you can get three points, I know the Ravens are four and two, but as far as momentum goes, because I think momentum is key to look at. I would absolutely take the lions plus three even though they're on the road, and I would feel very confident about that. But Jake, moving into my first game, I can't believe I'm going to be watching this, Jake. I got the Browns heading to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. And it's going to be Deshaun Watson versus Uncle Rico himself, Gardner Minshew, at, because as we touched on it earlier, Anthony Richardson is having season-ending shoulder surgery repair his ac joint now garner Minshew, we know he can play well he can play well but i think it's going to come down to the pairing of zach moss and jonathan taylor who is slowly getting more and more ingratiated back into this offense with shane Steichen, which i think is still going to be pretty damn potent even without anthony richardson because you can change the offense to more of a passing offense to fit Gardner Minshew. Now, he can still run a little bit, but not as much. I would also, Jake, look for Josh Downs to get more targets because of Minshew's more advanced nature of being able to pass the ball than Anthony Richardson. I think Josh Downs has a chance to have a very big game, as well as Michael Pittman to have a pretty good one as well. But on the Browns' side, they are on a historic pace on defense, This has been the best defense in football by far. They have allowed the least amount of points so far this season. And I think that if Deshaun Watson can give them literally anything on offense, they have a good chance of winning this game, especially since I think that what the Browns can do is force the Colts into a few turnovers, get short fields, and then Deshaun Watson should be able to cash in. It's just going to come down to that, though. Can they force those turnovers like they have been? Because that's what gave them the upset win over the Niners. It was turnovers. Now, the Browns are favored by 3.5, which I would probably stay away from this game. I I don't want any part of it because I think it's just going to be an ugly game. The over-under is 41. I think it's going to be an under. I'd see this more of a... 17-10 17 to 10 game, maybe a 20 to 13. I don't think this is going to be a high scoring one. But what do you think? Oh, the,
1: the Browns versus Colts is not going to be a high scoring game. I'm going to be looking for the Browns defense to really shut down the Colts because this defense has shown that they can shut down receivers, and Gardner Minshew is a see it and throw it quarterback and this Browns defense eats those type of quarterbacks alive. He does not throw with anticipation. That seeing throw type motion is what's going to get him killed in this game. I think Gardner can be a really good quarterback, but there's a lot of tape out on him throughout the years, and he's played enough in this cult system that teams can figure out what's going to happen, and the Cleveland Browns have the pass rush to easily dominate this game and their linebackers with JOK and Sion Talkie and Anthony Walker being that trio, I like their chances. I think the Browns can win this game no matter what quarterback's playing for them.
0: Yeah, I, I think, think that's going to be the biggest key. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I do think that is going to be the biggest matchup is the Indianapolis O-line, which has played better against this Browns defense and defensive line. Specifically,
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: So I'm kind of looking at the injury report for this game
1: that is going to make this even worse. Braden Smith, their right tackle, is out for this game. C.O. Taki Taki, one of the linebackers I mentioned, he's out. Kareem Hunt and Greg Newsom also questionable. So you're missing one of your two-star cornerbacks. That could affect things a bit. But with Brayden Smith, your star right tackle out? Eh. That's going to make things really bad.
0: Gee, I wonder what side Miles Garrett's going to be lining up on. (laughs) We're going to see him shimmy over there. And they're going to potentially send two guys. And guess what? One of you got to get set. (laughs) Yeah. But, Jake, let's go to your second game. What you got? So my second game is actually going to be a
1: dumpster fire game. But it's going to be one of those games I'm going to be watching just to get a good laugh out of because I think it's going to be a shit show. The Raiders versus the Bears. If Fields was playing this game, this could actually be a decently fun game to watch. Because I think that it could be fun to watch on both sides of the ball. I think Brian Hoyer, I don't want him starting. I want to see the fourth round rookie Aiden O'Connell. He brings a little more excitement to this offense. And he has a bigger arm than both Jimmy G and Brian Hoyer. And he can actually move a bit. I think... He, if Hoyer gets benched for O'Connell in the second half, or health Hoyer starts like shit, it wouldn't shock me. But with, how did you pronounce his last name? Bagent? Bagent. Bagent, right. You can just call him Baguette. Fuck, at this point I might as well because he's going to get cooked Tyson like Baguette. I think Crosby is going to eat this game alive. If Crosby comes out of this game with two and a half to three sacks or more, shit, it wouldn't shock me. I don't see anybody on those Bears O-line stopping him. Donald Wrights played pretty good for the Bears, but uh, Crosby is in a whole nother league than most of the pass rushers he has faced. I think this is going to be, like I said earlier, a dumpster fire but this is going to be a game I'm going to watch just to see what shitty team is going to be more shitty with their backup quarterback.
0: Yeah, it's going to be, it, it is absolutely going to be a dumpster fire. I mean, Tyson Baguette, he might as well, Tyson Baguette should might as well just make like the French and surrender. Because <laughs> to be honest, I think that this Raiders D line, they're going to be coming in pissed off like they usually are. And you're right, Max Crosby, this seems like a game that's ready-made for him. Now, I do think that even though Aiden O'Connell did not play well in his previous start, I think that you can also chalk that up to rookie jitters. I mean, it was your first game starting in the National Football League. It makes sense, because this one counted. Now, I think that as far as the Raiders go, the fact that they're 3-3... Three and three, is shocking to literally everyone. I think that they absolutely can win this game. They probably should win this game. They are favored by two and a half. And I absolutely would agree with that because nothing about the Bears. Now, I think if this was a Justin Fields game, I think this would maybe be more a Bears favored by two. I think that it would shift that much. But being how it is, Jake, I think, yeah, Raiders should win this game, no problem. Now, heading into my second game, I am hoping that this is going to be a fireworks show, but every time we say that, they end up being absolute duds. I am going to be keeping my eyes on the Chargers heading into Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs, they're 5-1, they're riding a five-game winning streak but they really haven't looked like themselves outside of one game against the Bears. Now, their defense has been playing insanely well, especially coming off last Thursday against the Broncos, where you got those two picks, you hounded Russell Wilson very well. I think that the key for the Chiefs to win this game is getting Travis Kelsey the ball as well, but also trying to establish one of your receivers. You have Valdez Scantling, who we know what he is. You have Kadarius Tony, who has his moments, but for the most part has been underwhelming this year. I would look for Rasheed Rice. He has been your most consistent receiver, not so much weapon, but your most consistent receiver outside of Travis Kelsey, I think that this is a prime time spot for him to be get involved and play a lot better. And then for the Chargers, Jake, I think that you're going to see a lot more Austin Eckler. And I think that what you're going to see is a Chargers team that they, got, they basically got embarrassed after what happened on Monday night because you could look at that game and say, there was no way they should have lost that game. Just none. They should not have lost that game. Now, the Chiefs are actually favored by five and a half, which I don't agree with at all. I think that's a little bit disrespectful as far as the Chargers go. Now, I understand that this could also be an overreaction to losing to the Cowboys in the fashion that they did, but what do you think? I think that this is going to be a... (sighs)
1: <sighs> Shit, honestly, I can see this being either a shootout or a low-scoring game, because the Kansas City Chiefs have a top three points allowed defense. They have been killing it this year. Steve Spagnolo, or Spags as people like to call him, has been dialing up a hell of a defense this year. It's like after Bienni left, all the power that the offense had went to the defense. This defense is something else, man. Usually we see Kansas City with like a middle-tier defense and a top-five offense. We're seeing a top-five offense and a middle-tier offense. It is something that is scary for them. The Chargers, oh dude, I don't know if they're going to be able to handle Chris Jones in the middle. This is one of those games that Chris Jones could take over just by himself. I think that this young secondary has the firepower to deal with the offensive weapons that the Chargers have. If the Chargers get blown up by a 10 points or more, I could see it. But these two teams always have a great game. Usually the Chiefs win it. But the Chargers and Chiefs, no matter what their overall placement is with their wins and losses, you can always expect it to be a damn good division game. One of the best you could see in the NFL as a whole. I'm expecting this to be either a barn burner or a lower scoring game, but I think it's going to be a barn burner.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. And that's why I would probably, if you forced me, I'd take the Chargers plus the five and a half due to the fact that I do think it is going to be a closer game than people realize because it is a divisional game. And while the Chargers defense has been Swiss cheese often, I do think that they are going to be able to at least somewhat contain the Chiefs being that. They are a division rival. You play them twice a year. I know it's an arrowhead, but the Chargers are at least somewhat potent on offense that I think that they can try and take away some of the mistakes that are absolutely going to happen because Brandon Staley should not be managing a... Honestly, Jake, I don't even know if he should be able to manage a Les Schwab at this point, let alone an NFL team in Los Angeles. But moving into our final game for our eyes on five, it is the Sunday night football game, Miami heading to the city of brotherly love to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. I think Jake, this is a game that the Dolphins, if they win this, they are going to establish themselves as potentially the second best team in the AFC just behind kc now i would put him probably at one over kansas city as of this moment because now remember everything is fluid this is our opinions based off of week six and throughout moving forward into week seven i think that the dolphins are slightly better than the chiefs because of how potent their offense is and because of the speed they possess I think if they win this game, they could further establish themselves as the best team in the AFC because you're taking on an Eagles team that offensively has looked lost. And on defense, while they have played well, it is nowhere near at the level that we saw last year. Now, I think that you're going to see a lot more zone coverage and you're going to see a bit of an umbrella put on the defense So Tyreek Hill can't get deep and just absolutely torch them. Now, I do think that if the Dolphins are able to establish Raheem Mostert on the ground, that's going to give us a very big tell of how the game's going to go because I think the Dolphins, if they're able to run the ball, are going to be able to keep the Eagles on the sideline. And to be honest, flat out control this game. Now, the Eagles, on the other hand, I think that it's going to be a big thing for them to keep DeAndre Swift active. Now, when they've played well, it's because he's had a big game. If they are to win this game, I think that's going to be the big thing because the Dolphins' defense has been suspect. We've seen teams be able to score on them. We've seen teams be able to run on them. Keep in mind, they were down 14-0 against the winless Panthers before they scored 42. I think that if the Eagles are to win this game, they get the running game going, get a lead early, and try and force the Dolphins to play catch-up, because to me, that's the only way Philly has a chance of winning this game. Now, they're favored by 2.5. I would absolutely absolutely take the Dolphins plus 2.5, but what are your thoughts, Jake? So, I'm going to start off because
1: I decided to pull up the injury report for this team. They're going to be, the Eagles are going to be out their best safety and their slot slash nickel corner. Reed Blankenship is going to be out for this game and Bradley Roby is going to be out. I'm going to be seeing a lot of deep passes probably to Hill or Jalen Waddle because without Blankenship, that deep third or that deep half of the field that he's usually lined up at that's going to be a lot of interesting stuff and I love Darius Slay and I love James Bradbury uh I don't like them with their age going against this type of speed dude now Jalen Carter is going to be playing this game Jalen Carter needs to play his ass off to take over this game because He needs to do really good against the interior O-line for the Dolphins. So these deep bombs from Tua to either Tyreek or Waddle cannot happen. Lane Johnson, he is playing. So they're going to have their star right tackle, which is amazing for Jalen. Because without Lane Johnson, I don't know how I feel about this pass rush. Uh, go against to to that Eagles offensive line without their star right tackle. Because, okay, yeah, lotta, he could shut down most people. But without Johnson being in there, that could really screw him up. But he's playing, so all's well and good. I think that this could be a high-scoring game on both sides of the ball. I think you're going to see a lot of runs and a lot of passes from both teams. I think it's going to be a pretty split balance of on both sides of the ball. So, I don't know what to expect, but I'm expecting high points. What is he over under for points A
0: lot of points for this game? It is actually 50 and a half. Really? Fuck, I would have thought
1: like 56.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be sitting around, you know, a 28, 22, 27, 23. Makes sense to me. Now, I think, Jake, real quick, I want to get your picks on our five games I'm going to take the Raiders I will take the Browns I will take you believe I believe you said Lions Ravens right yes I will take the Lions I will take the Chiefs and I will take the Dolphins what are your picks I'm going to take the
1: Lions I'm going to take the Raiders I'm going to take the Dolphins I'm going to take the Chiefs and what was the other game Browns Colts I'm going to take the Browns because, like I said, that defense is going to cause sh- all types of fits for that Colts oh, that Colts offense. So I'm pretty sure we're in agreement on all five.
0: Exactly. We're Yeah, we are standing firm on – and we are in agreement of all five games, which I don't think will happen very often, but, but this week is unique. I
1: will add, if the Eagles do beat the Dolphins, I could see this happening either way. If we get prime Jalen Hurts from last year – I don't like this Fangio defense against a a 100% Jalen Hurts. And they have a running back from hell in DeAndre Swift. Like you mentioned, if he gets going, uh,
0: it's hard to stop this offense. That is true. But Jake, for our final segment, our closing thoughts, what you wanted to talk about potential trade candidates. So I'm going to let you go first. Who do you think is most likely to get moved by the trade deadline? That is a bigger name. So I think one that could be
1: really fun to see, um, Brian Burns for the Carolina Panthers. They're without a first round pick in this coming draft. And there is a lot of wide receiver talent that they need to support Bryce Young because I don't think if they did trade Brian Burns for a top five pick they're not going to pick a quarterback because they want to stick with Bryce and I think they like what they see with them so far he's not been playing great but he's a rookie I want to see give the kid two more years minimum and I think he's going to develop into such a great quarterback if you trade Brian Burns you could easily get a first round pick hell maybe a first round pick and a late first round pick in this year's draft if not two first round picks in this year and next year and if you want to if you try to trade up you can get one of those top guys you're probably not going to get marvin harrison jr that's a top three pick right there but one of the other top two top three receivers definitely not out of the questions and then this team needs wide receiver help they're missing dj Moore heavily
0: oh absolutely and i think f- that brian burns he's definitely most likely to get tossed because of the fact that they are winless they do not have a first round pick like you said and i do think that the biggest thing that they really need jake is outside of a weapon they need a tackle i think they might be able to get weapons in free agency later on but i would look more likely at trying to bolster up that o-line so bryce young isn't getting killed but for mine I'm going to be looking at a former Packer of yours. I think Devonte Adams could be on the move. Now, I know what a lot of people are saying. Well, he made the bed. Now he's gonna. he's got to lay in it. That's not how it works in the NFL. I think that it's going to be a lot easier to pick him up. Now, remember, the Raiders did trade a first and a second for him. I think that they might be able to get a second. I don't know if they'd be able to get a first for him. I know he's been playing fantastic while he's been with the Raiders, but he doesn't want to be there. He does not want to be on a loser like the Raiders. Now, I know they're 3-3, three and three, but let's be honest. We don't look at that team with any optimism. I think that if I were to pick a destination for him, that would make sense I think that the Chiefs might come calling because what what can they really do with their draft picks right now that would give them a pick equivalent to the player that Devontae Adams is? I think that, and I know in division, very unlikely. However, for desperate franchises, I wouldn't rule it out. A lot of people think that Jerry Judy is going to be on his way to Kansas City or potentially head to Carolina, I would keep an eye on Devontae Adams potentially getting traded out as well. Probably for a second, I think. I don't know if they'd get a first, but in division, it would probably have to be. But that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe because we're going to be putting out episodes every Saturday. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care.
1: Take it easy.